All right, so this probably is not going to strike you as a big surprise or a big reveal, but I love talking to musicians. I've been doing it since I was 16 years old. The first band I ever interviewed was in 1986. They were a band called Slovenly. They were on SST Records, and, you know, SST Records was a big deal because they had the Minutemen, Husker Du, the Meat Puppets, Dinosaur Jr., the list goes on and on and on. They were the best. Anyway, it turns out my first interview with a band was an in-person interview. Slovenly came to my radio show in Concord, California, on my high school campus. It was a metal station called KVHS. And they came in, and amidst posters of Anthrax, Accept, Venom, Metallica, (laughs) and uh, any other metal band you can think of, Slovenly sat down and chatted with me, and it was a great conversation. They were such nice guys. And I was super nervous because, you know, my first interview uh, in person with four musicians uh, was kind of a big deal. It was a lot for a 16-year-old to deal with, but I dealt with it. And that nervousness was replaced immediately as soon as the conversation started with a kind of electricity, a thrill. And when I was driving home an hour later, that thrill was still there. Well, guess what? All these years later, every time I talk to a musician— That thrill, that electricity, it shows up every single time. It's one of the most organic, inexplicable, and beautiful things of my life. And these conversations that I have, I think about them all the time. I carry them with me. I know that sounds kind of like impossible. I've done a lot of interviews. How am I carrying them all with me? Well, I don't know, but I am. And during the course of the day, every day, something from one of these conversations I have will just beam back to me. And it really is a gift because talking to musicians still feels to me like a privilege because it is. Now, the conversation you're going to hear today is one that I actually think about a lot. It just, there was something about this chat that I found kind of beautiful because Dan McCafferty, who was the singer of Nazareth, was just such a nice guy. And he, you know, His voice is a voice that is unmistakable. It's one of the greatest voices in rock and roll history. It had power, it had muscle, but it also had finesse and it had grace. Now look, my goal with this show is to give you a conversation that you can't get anywhere else, a different kind of chat. That's all I want to do is provide a glimpse that you don't normally get. It doesn't always work out that way, but this is one of those times where I think that it did. Um, I got news this morning that Dan had died last night, and I went back and listened to this, and I just... I'm really proud of this conversation. So Dan McCafferty, he'll be missed. Really lovely guy. A classic Scotsman. Enjoy this conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. It was a case of, I, I didn't have any fears for them because I knew they could find a singer. And I had no fear about the songwriting because I'd worked with Lee and Jimmy and Pete for years. So I knew there was plenty of songwriters there, you know what I mean? So, uh, 
But when I was dealing with my own with 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 Carol, it was like, oh, you know, we don't even speak the same language. <laughs> Where do we go from here? You know? I imagine that it, that it had its challenges, but it, it sort of maybe it kind of forced you for the first time in a long time to sort of think in a totally different way. Of course it does, and I mean that's that was one of the main reasons for doing it with Kaya because you know he's he's got his views of what should it what it should be like what our song should be like and so have I. So it was like we we definitely had to agree on which we were going, which we found eventually quite easy actually, but at first it was like. Well, Kaya at first didn't speak in English. Well, very little English. Um, so that proved to be kind of a bit of a drawback for a bit. But then it was all right. You know. No, but I was, I wanted it to be, to be different from Nas. But I still wanted it to be me, if you know what I mean. And it's, it's hard to find the, the space, you know what I mean, that you should be in. Right. And it also, I know it sounds like a cliche, but it also reinforces the idea that music is a universal language. Of course it is. I mean, of course it is. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I've been in Kazakhstan and so, so a guy that's, if you shut your eyes, Jeff Beck was playing. Because he was playing a Jeff Beck song. You know, and his name was probably, I don't know, Ignace Kamnestikov or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it's, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it was like he had Beck's, he had Beck's licks down. I mean, I know they weren't his licks and all that; they were Jeff's, and he thought of them. But I mean, it's it's doesn't matter where you go, you know. There'll always be somebody sitting in a bedroom somewhere who's going to be the next Jimi Hendrix. He thinks, or the next Elvis Presley. I don't know. Right. But that's healthy, though. That's good. It is good. And so, in this situation, you did you find that the actual language itself wasn't really as important as conveying the musical language. It didn't matter at all. It really didn't matter at all. It was a case of, you know, Kaya would send me a track, a melody or or just a track, and I would send him back what I thought, and he would send me back, and you know, and then it built up that way. So eventually we had a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, so we'll do it all on email, really. And then, then eventually, of course, we got together and went through the songs. And, everything. and then after that, it was really quite easy. I mean, it, it took us a little while to get the album together, mainly because I was just hanging. But, I mean, he had projects on and stuff to do. Um, so when we got together, I mean, the album only took a month to make, which is pretty good. Yeah. Because then it was, you know, like a week off during that month, you know, because it's studio time and whatever, you know. How long was it taking you guys to make those Nazareth albums in the early days? How, well, how long were those take? In the early days, on the early days, it was like nine days, you know, but, but that was then, you know. And uh, th th there was, well, there was technology, but it was very basic, you know, and it was all, it was all tapes and edits and whatever you have, you know. But it was, that, that, that was the weaponry you had at the time. You know, but nowadays it's a whole different thing. You know, and, and you have to have, well, like in our case, it was a guy called Duncan Akinson who was an engineer. You know, who's about 12 or something. I don't know. No, he's very <laughs> young as well. <laughs> he's at 12 or something. I think his mum used to bring him to the studio or something. I don't know. No, it was, uh, no, not really. 
<laughs> giving Duncan a hard time here. <laughs> no, it's it's all these kids are on top of the technology now, and you know you can actually you need you need a kid like that to to understand what's going on or to help you out. You know what I mean? Which is wonderful. <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean. And did you start to kind of get into the process? Like, oh, this is actually pretty easy. I don't have to even leave my house. Well, well, I, I got to a case like, uh, I suppose you could have done that, but maybe I've got the old, you know, the old work ethic. You're supposed to clock in and start your job. You know, so I love going to the studio, actually. I always have done. Because it's, uh, being in a studio is, gives you a creative feel, I think, you know. I, I agree with that. If you're working from home, it almost feels like you're not at work. Well, that's right. It feels like you're kind of pretending. You know what I mean? I mean, it's okay for making demos and stuff, getting ideas, but you have to be somewhere else. You have to be in a a creative space, I think. But hey, that's me. You know what I mean? Whatever way you can do it, you do it. <laughs> it's, the way, it's the way to right. go, really. If you had explained to you in, say, 1968, how you made this album in the future, you wouldn't have known what you were talking about. Oh, no, I'd have said I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you're talking about? You're high or out of your mind. I mean, you um, wouldn't have believed it. I mean, come on, man, we're walking about. I remember the first time I was in the States. You know, I had to book a phone call to Britain to talk to my wife. Okay, it was okay in New York or Los Angeles. If I was in Kansas City, I had to book a phone call. You know, I didn't have a mobile phone. Only people on Star Trek had mobile phones, communication devices. Whereas nowadays, I've got a granddaughter who's 16, and I'm sure her mobile phone is welded to her hand. <laughs> they go nowhere without them. And it's not just her, I mean, it's every kid on the block. And I think about, like, playing live in a studio with a band uh, or even playing live on stage. You can see the expression on, on the person's face. You can see what their course, hands yeah. are doing, right? Right. And it's also, if you're there and it's your song, you can see a guy, I don't know, maybe the bass player or the drummer or something, is struggling with it, you know, and then they start to get upset. Then you can go, oh, oh, oh hold on. It's a song, buddy. You know, this is what it's about. <laughs> Let's take our time and get, you know, get it together, make, make everybody feel good. Then the track will sound better. Inevitably. In my experience, it always has. So, you, you know, you would miss that, I think. Yeah. I'm still blown away by the idea that you guys were knocking out albums in nine days. I know. But that, <laughs> that was... But that was the, the record contracts then. It was... You had to make an album. I think you got two weeks to do the whole thing. And then you had to do tours. I mean, that was in the contract. So it was like record, album, tour. <laughs> tour yeah. Record, tour. I mean, that was that. It was one year we did 235 gigs and made a record. God. You know, and when I came home at Christmas, the wife says, you look tired. I went, yeah, you think? <laughs> Your work ethic could never be questioned. Oh, well, but, that, but, that, but then that was everybody's work ethic at that time. I mean, I was on the road with people like Rory Gallagher and Deep Purple and people like that. They did the same thing. I mean, we weren't just the poor whipping boys 
That's what everybody did. You know, and that's just how it was. But then the technology came along and and thankfully a bit of sensibility as well. Say, do we have to kill these bands? We don't really want to. You know, so we cut down on two and a bit. But we, we still were a working band, if you like. Because that, if you go huge, if you, if you become a Rolling Stone or a U2 or something, right, then you can choose. If you're a working band, then you make an album, and then you tour. You don't have to do it as hard as we did in the 70s, of course. And you've got to remember as well, when we were doing all that stuff, there was no MTV. Right. It was just radio. It was like, you know, people heard your music. They didn't see you. I mean, I remember playing a gig. We did a tour with Thin Lizzy. And I remember playing a festival in, in Texas. And people in Texas didn't know Phil was black. Boys are back in town. Hey, that man's black, they said. Actually, they didn't say it so politely, but they said <laughs> Right. <laughs> but they did not know Phil was black. Because they'd only had the record. You know what I mean? It was like, it was a different world, you know. And uh, even, I, I mean, I speak to young musicians locally. Because they all work in the same studio as I do. And it's like, they're thinking about the video and the, the song and the, you know, so that's, yeah, that's a string to their bow I, I never had. When this project got started, how long did it take for you to feel comfortable? Well, I would, I'd actually worked with Kaya. He put a band together for me. I was doing a little gig in Prague, and he put a band together for me, and he played keyboards in it. And we just hit it off. You know, we just knew, you know, blah, blah. It was, it was, a, it was a happening thing. And then I did, one, I did a track for him on an album he was working on. And we started talking about it. And, and then within weeks, really, we knew we had something going on, you know. So, it, it, I mean, it, it took about a year to get together. But that was like we never spoke to each other for like three months because I was away working or he was doing something or blah, blah, you know. So, I, I mean, to put the whole album together, writing and everything else, I guess it took about three or four months. It's hard as you get older, it's hard to make friends, let alone find yeah. creative partners. And so it's so cool that, that you guys linked up at this point in your life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, guess, I think it's incredible. And because of him, I've met so many great Czech musicians. And he's the same thing. He's met so many Scottish guys that he's like a, a fan of, you know. So what goes around comes around, you know what I mean? was so wrong Just having such a good time Didn't mean you any harm I woke up All the damage I had done Had brought you so much sorrow All my mistakes All my faults Forgiveness, forgiveness please And we'll stand the chance of moving on We can move on 
we can move on to a better creatively more um, excited than ever, I mean, in terms of that at this point? Well, I always look forward. There's no point in looking back. I mean, it's all right, you know, if you're sitting around the table with the boys, with the, with the Naz lads every now and again, and you have a few beers and you think you remember the night and blah, blah, blah. You know, and that's fun. But it's not doing yeah. anything for you. You know, uh, so it's good to say, well, what am I going to do next? You know, and that's, that's the way I tend to think. I always found the work of uh, your body of work. I always found there to be humor in Nazareth, uh, and I always well, appreciated that. Am, am, am I right in in observing that? Oh yeah, but we're never we're never 
100% serious about what we did, no. I mean, well, we were serious about the music, but we were never serious about the image. You know what I mean? The image didn't mean a thing to me. You know? It was like all about what, is, what the song sounded like. I always like the fact that there that lyrically there are so many unexpected turns in your in your discography in your body of work, and I always I, I think the music is always so fresh. I think lyrically uh, is you know I don't want to say you're underrated, but I but I think in many ways people don't realize like how funny and 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 clever a these lot, songs. A lot of it was very humorous. I mean, things like uh, Telegram. Yeah, you know, people took that so seriously. You know, me were going, "Are you kidding me?" You know. I mean, it was like a day in the life of being in a rock band. Ooh, that's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Not. <laughs> but it was, it, it, the thing was, it was, we weren't laughing at anybody else. We were laughing at us. <laughs> it was like, I don't know if it's a British thing or a Scottish thing or whatever, but it's good to take the piss out of yourself now and again. You know what I mean? Keeps your feet on the ground. Yeah, I was going to ask you if there, if if there, the Scottish sensibility in Nazareth is what I'm picking up on. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I think it was, you know, you, that was a serious subject, and you you're being serious about it. And fair enough. If you're, if you're writing a rock song about being on the road, don't make it sound as if it's like you know you're going to get thirty lashes. You know, right. unless of course you enjoy thirty lashes. <laughs> Which is a whole different <laughs> argument. <laughs> Dan, I'm wondering, when did you first self-identify with being a vocalist? I mean, when did you feel like this is my superpower? This is this is who I am. I I, I don't know. I, I guess probably after I'd been in the band about two years, because when I first started, it was like it was like what me and my friends did on a Friday night and a Saturday night. It was just like you know to meet girls. And whatever, you know. Um, but then, you know, when we started to write, I think, when I started to think, well, I could write that, then that became a different thing, you know what I mean? If I'm going to write something, and then I have to make it sound like mine. So that's when you start seriously thinking about it. But I guess I must have been about, probably about 18 or 19 before I, I really thought, here, you know, I can maybe do something with this. <laughs> yeah. Were your parents uh, supportive of you of you making a, a well, career in music? Uh, unfortunately, uh, only my dad was alive at that time, and he alive at that time, and he was very ill. So I I never really had that problem. It was a case of this is what I want to do, and I mean, but was, you got to remember, I was an engineer as well. I was an engineer through the day and a singer at night, like most people were in those days. Right. You know, you, unless you were making records. You couldn't make a living out of music, you know. You had to, you had to have the job, you know. What I mean, right? Which is fair. Enough. That's how it was. I mean, so I, you know, both of those. But when I look back, it didn't seem like a hassle because I, I kind of enjoyed both, to be quite honest. And it was a uh, high. Right, and again, that sort of reveals that the work ethic, which I think is. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. You know, it was. You know, you earn your bread by the sweat of your brow and all that. You know, what's what's remarkable to me is from the very first note of the very first record um, to the very last note of the newest album. You, to me, have always sounded incredibly confident, and um, you know, 
it's just incredible to hear that you started, at least to my ears, sounding so assured. Did you did you feel that way? Oh yes, I did. I mean, I, I mean, it was a case of when I went in with my first record, it was a case of like, well, nothing's going to slip by me. I'm not going to just sell for something that people will go, ah, oh, that's okay, done. I'm not going to let that happen, you know. And I never did. I mean, I've made mistakes. Jesus, I look back at some of the songs I made and I think, ooh, shouldn't have done that. But there you go. Um, but generally speaking, no, I'm pretty proud of most stuff we did. Well, just about everything we did, apart from a few mistakes. I mean, I think we all look back and 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 wonder why we did certain things, whether it's music or behaviors. Yeah. But you know, at the time, it probably felt right. I mean, it felt like the right thing, the real deal at the time. Huh? Yeah, well, that's how you have to live. I mean, you have to, you know, you have to make your decisions, and you've always got a choice. You know, should I do this or should I not? Yeah, and if you, if you do a should and you shouldn't have, then you have to live with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> in, 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 terms of, in terms of friendships in this business, I know it's hard to maintain friendships in life, and it's harder even in a business like the music business. Do you, was there a, a kind of a camaraderie at that point um, when you guys got started with a lot of bands? And did you maintain friendships with a lot of those players? Well, well you, you saw each other in the passing mainly, because you were all in the same boat. You know what I mean? I mean, you were all playing the college circuits, you were all playing the clubs in London, you were, you know, whatever bands playing. So you, you ran across each other a lot. And, you know, you, you met a lot of really nice people, I have to say. Most of them were real good people and easy to work with. Um, so I, I, I don't think I made any, like, I have to talk to him every weekend sort of thing. You know what I mean? I made a lot of pals, though. And pals are important when you're traveling, you know. But, I mean, I made a lot of friends, yeah. Like I say, not living friends, if you know what I mean. It was like, but a lot of buddies, for sure. Yeah. And if one of them phoned and needed a, a, a hand, I'd be there. I, I, I feel that they'd be there for me, you know. But that's kind of it, you know. Yeah, you you have a, a reputation for being a nice guy. Like there, people people seem oh, to like you. Oh, you must work on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I must work on that. I've not got time to to follow people and, and do stupid stuff. I've got enough stuff to take care of without causing problems. <laughs> right, exactly. I talked to I don't know if you know this guy. I talked to Graham Bonnet. Um, oh yeah, I know Graham. Yeah. I said, how is it possible that you can still sing like this? And he said, I really don't know. <laughs> no, well, he probably doesn't. You know what I mean? It, but I don't think it's, it's I, I think, like, what I noticed in my career was if I met other singers, they say to me, Dan, oh, you always sound dead rough, but you keep your voice not. And, and all I do is worry about it. I say, that's, that's the reason, pal. You sit and worry about it. Of course you'll lose your voice. You know what I mean? Because you right. convince yourself you're hurting yourself, you know what I mean? And I think a lot of it's just belief in yourself. And I mean, unless there's a physical problem. You know, if you've got something like nodes or something like that, then that's unfortunate. But there's treatments for that, you know. But I think a lot of singers convince themselves that they were hurting themselves, you know what I mean? And, and I mentioned Graham because he was telling me he smoked and he drank and he, you know, he said oh, he he really wasn't kind to his voice and yet he still has this remarkable power. Um, really how? 
and I, and I think you're the same. I'm, I, I'm not saying that you live like Grant, but I'm saying that your voice to me sounds as remarkable and as powerful as ever. Well, thank you very much. I think it's a case of just, just believing what you're doing and, and, and enjoy it, enjoy doing it. And it'll sound fine. And if it sounds fine to you, that's all you can do. If other people like it, great. If they don't like it, oops. <laughs> Have you found that there are things that you can do vocally now that you couldn't do before? Like, do you think your voice has deepened in a way that you have new, new powers? I, 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 honestly, I, I haven't even thought of that. I just, really? I mean, there's something, no, if there's something I want to do at the time, I do it. And if it works, fine. I don't, I don't really, like I said, my career consists of bumbling from one thing to the next. <laughs> you know, I don't really, I've never made a plan in my life. I just, I go along and, and do what you want to do. And if it works, fine. If it doesn't work, well, oops. Really, you, you have to only, I, I don't, try not to worry about most things. Obviously, I worry about my family and things like that. But I don't worry about, God, I hope my voice will be okay. And hope we don't crash on the next two hours. <laughs> Right. You, know, you drive yourself up the wall, you know. So. I know. I've I've interviewed singers who say things like, you know, I I drink tea four days before a show. I squeeze a lemon into this. Mm -hmm. I I don't talk. I do whatever. Uh, and you're saying, don't intellectualize it. Just get out there and and do it. Well, I listen. If it works for them, that's fine. I've never worried about it or thought about it that deeply. To be honest, it's just a case of it's working. Let's go. Was there? Ever a chance? I'm, I'm sure you saw some such great bands in the late '60s, early '70s. Was there anyone you saw live where you went, "Oh no, man, that that guy can sing. I'm in trouble." Oh, was there anybody that just, you really were blown away by? Oh, just about everybody that was around at the time. I mean, Robert Plant wasn't he bad? <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy Hendrix could carry a tune. The guys at Genesis were pretty average. You know, I mean, this is this is the bands we were playing with Jeff Beck and his boys. What was his name? That young fella, Stuart. He wasn't bad. <laughs> there was millions of singers, man. Are you kidding me? You know, millions of them. They were all good, which was great. It was it was great for the time. It was great for for music generally. You know, you've got to remember, bands are not in competition with other bands. They're just in competition with themselves. And weren't you seeing these guys in small clubs? I've seen them, well, most, a lot of them in small clubs. I've also seen them in stadiums. You know, and I've, I've played with ACDC at festivals. I mean, it's, anybody that owned a guitar, I'm sure we've done a gig with at some point, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. I always think, like, Rod Stewart in a sweaty nightclub would be uh, a pretty amazing experience. Not that an oh, arena... It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. He used to have a local ballroom called the Kinaba Ballroom. And I remember seeing him singing with the Jeff Beck part. It was quite special. You know, obviously, say. Ronnie Wood on bass. Not too tacky. <laughs> no. That's a, it's amazing. I, I can't believe yeah. you saw Hendrix. Oh, yeah. Saw him in Glasgow. Dead in Edinburgh. Uh, it was him, era part the move. Somebody else was in the building, I can't remember who. It was four bands. They all got about 20 minutes each or something. It was fantastic. It was a great night out. Was it pretty clear that Hendrix was kind of otherworldly? Oh, shit, yeah. 
well, I mean, it was the first set of three Marshall Stacks I'd ever seen in my life. You know, so I thought, ooh. <laughs> There's no many Jimi Hendrix in a bunch, you know what I mean? It was, uh, it was a bit special. Yeah, and he, he crammed a lot into his very young life. He certainly did. He certainly did that. And what he did was he, he widened musicians' pictures of how things should be. Because they thought, well, if you can do that, I can do that too. You know? Yeah. So it opened, it opened many doors. But anybody that's that innovative does, like Stevie Wonder did, like, you know, lots of people did. What was your take on Bon Scott? Did, did you know Bon at all? I didn't know Bon. I met, I met him a couple of times on festivals. Seemed like a nice guy. And he was joking. He's, sorry, Scottish. Uh, so him and I got on fine, you know. That was, was hi man, how are you doing? Fine, you know. Good gig today. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Blah blah, you know. Then they were off to the next gig, and so were we. But then yeah. I, I, I took a couple of years ago. Well, a few years ago. And I knew Brian as well. We used to do gigs with Brian when he was in another band in Newcastle. He was a nice bloke there, and is a nice bloke still. <laughs> Do you find that you like to keep the company uh, when you're hanging out of musicians because you guys understand the shared experience? Well, you've got something in common to talk about. You right. I mean? um, because a lot of people I meet, if I meet them socially, it's kind of like doing an interview, which is okay when you're doing an interview, but, you know, if you're out for a pint with a wife, nah, you know, <laughs> I bore the arse off the wife. So, what's the, you know, you can't even win, son. Don't ever think you can win. Yeah. You if you're having a pint with your wife, you don't want to feel like you're on my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very much. Right? Yeah. Very much. <laughs> Gotta keep those things separate. Yeah, it must be a kind of a relief sometimes just to talk to a fisherman. Yeah, it is indeed, because he's telling you something you have no idea about. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. He doesn't care how many days it took to make a Nazareth record. No, no, he's he hasn't a clue. If he knows what another problem is. <laughs> 